dear God, we uh, are so blessed to have a church uh, where we can come to freely and uh, hear your word, Lord, and discuss it, Lord, and see all the great things that you have for us and, and the way, many ways you've taken care of us, Lord. So many gifts, so many blessings. Uh, we thank you for the beautiful sunshine today. Uh, we ask you to bless uh, your word as it goes forth. Lord, please have the Holy Spirit be our leader. And uh, may we uh, come to know you better uh, because of this study. We pray these things in our precious Savior's name, Jesus Christ. Amen. So we are in the book of Galatians. Last week uh, we had just an introduction. Uh, maybe I could just hit a few highlights uh, briefly to bring us up to speed. We talked about um, the, the Galatian letter and what it addresses. And it's going to address legalism as opposed to the liberty that we've uh, in Christ. And uh, it speaks specifically about the relationship of the believer to the law of Moses. We talked about Galatia being not a city but a region, uh, primarily divided into a, a northern and southern uh, provinces. And that uh, the dating of this book is somewhere around 48 to maybe 55 uh, A.D. It may have been Paul's first letter. It may have uh, been just one of his first letters, but it's an early letter. And we brought up the topic of the Jerusalem Council, uh, which is found in uh, Acts 15, as, uh, as being pertinent to the dating of the letter itself. We'll look at that as we get, go on, especially beginning in chapter 2 of Galatians. We talked about the obstacles that that church in Galatia, that the churches in Galatia, excuse me, that they faced, both from the world and from religion. And uh, for the Gentile, it was primary primarily paganism, and for the Jew, it was Judaism. We talked about how hard it is to break away from those foundations and that there's always been this problem of a distinction between the law and grace uh, from the beginning of that church all the way up into our present day. We still uh, have difficulty with this area, but the answers that the Word of God gives haven't changed, uh, that we uh, really haven't changed, and and uh, God and His Word haven't changed. And so we want to know what this book tells us because it'll be good for us. Um, we talked about the keeping of the law has never produced righteousness. Jesus kept the law to the fullest extent, but it didn't give Him righteousness. It revealed His righteousness. He was righteous prior to anything. And... Uh, so we can't get righteousness. And yet we talked about uh, the time before the giving of the law and that there was this thing called justifying faith. Abraham is a prime example of that. He believed and it was credited to him as righteousness. He was declared righteousness. And that's really the only righteousness that God allows. It's absolutely righteous and it's his righteousness. And so that must be imputed to us. That's what we get by faith and uh, believing in our Savior. The law is not bad, but when we are put up against it, measured against it, we're condemned. And uh, the problem with the Jews, after they'd received the law, they failed to see a couple of things about it. Number one, that it was temporary. It was meant to be temporary, and it was meant to be a tutor. 
And uh, also, they failed to see the connection between the law and the pictures within the law, which were pointing to the, the Messiah that would come. Uh, we saw in the law, we get sacrificial uh, 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 giving uh, an atonement for sin. Uh, we see uh, the spilling of blood, innocent blood, and we see what it takes. But we also talked about righteousness being a matter of the heart. Okay. We talked about Paul a little bit and uh, his uh, misguided but zealous love for God at the beginning. But he was uh, wrong and he was uh, persecuting uh, Christians in the process. God, uh, Jesus, dealt with him on the road to Damascus, and we're going to look at that uh, in greater detail. And then I kind of ended up uh, talking about two covenants. There are two covenants here before us in the book of Galatians. The old covenant, which is the law of Moses written on stone tablets. And then there's this new covenant that Jeremiah spoke of. And this is what we get when we come to Christ. And he writes this law on our fleshy hearts because we get a new heart that's not stone. And, we're, and the difference on those two covenants is uh, one of them was two-sided and it was conditional. And those who agreed to it broke it almost from the start. The second covenant is one-sided and it is unconditional and God does it. And we benefit from it. Okay, so we're, I believe we're ready to actually get into uh, chapter 1 of Galatians. In this chapter, we're going to see that uh, Paul is going to be giving his credentials, so to speak. He does this in other places in the scripture, but this is a nice consolidated view of it. Uh, the first two chapters of Galatians are sometimes referred to as Paul's autobiography. And this is because the Judaizers, these ones that had brought this uh, message of legalism, uh, they had come to, to the Galatian uh, believers and they were holding themselves out as if they were apostles. They were claiming to be apostles and in the process they were discrediting Paul, uh, both personally in his apostleship and then secondarily with the message that he brought. So the Judaizers' false gospel of legalism, and remember this was going to include circumcision for these mostly Gentile believers, it was presenting a danger. It threatened the stability of these early churches, these young Galatian churches. So consequently, Paul uh, is going to begin by giving uh, us some important information. So let's start in Galatians chapter 1, verses 1 and 2. Paul, an apostle, not sent from men, nor through the agency of man, but through Jesus Christ, and God the Father who raised him from the dead, and all the brethren who are with me to the churches of Galatia. So we see that Paul's attitude, as we, if you compare this to other of his letters, his attitude starting off is rather urgent and it's serious. And I think you notice right off the bat that he kind of skips the giving of any, any common, uh, commendation to the Galatians which is not his normal, usual approach, right? He starts off and he's letting the Galatians know that he was an apostle of Jesus Christ and the Father. No one could invoke a higher authority than that, right? The false teachers' claims, they paled in comparison to Paul's. No matter what authority 
uh, they alleged to have. But Paul's claims are not idle boasting. Now, admittedly, Paul's past persecution of Christians had been at least a partial fulfillment of Jesus' prophetic words in John 16 when he's speaking to the disciples in the upper room. And he says, uh, These things I have spoken to you, so that you may be kept from stumbling, that is, falling away. They will make you outcasts from the synagogue, so they has to be Jews. But an hour is coming for everyone who kills you to think that he is offering service to God. This had kind of been Paul's mindset, his M.O. He'd been chasing down the saints and committing them to prison wherever he could find them, and uh, even uh, chasing them down to the point of death. Remember Stephen? We'll talk about that. But let's look for a minute at Paul's call, his call to apostleship, which he's putting forth. Paul then saw he had been in hot pursuit of Christians when at his conversion, the Lord blinded him with light, struck him to the ground, and called him to be an apostle with the words that are found in Acts chapter 26, verses 14 through 18. And uh, this is Paul speaking in the first person, and he's retelling what has happened. Paul says, And when we had all fallen to the ground, I heard a voice saying to me in the Hebrew dialect, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? It is hard for you to kick against the goads. And I said, Who are you, Lord? And the Lord said, I am Jesus, whom you're persecuting. But get up and stand on your feet. For this purpose I have appeared to you, to appoint you a minister and a witness, not only to the things which you have seen, but also to the things in which I will appear to you, rescuing you from the Jewish people and from the Gentiles to whom I am sending you, to open their eyes so that they may turn from darkness to light and from the dominion of Satan to God, that they may receive the forgiveness of sins and an inheritance among those who have been sanctified by, me, by faith in me. So it was a call. Uh, Paul was called to be a witness at the time of his conversion. But Paul needed to spend some time learning and growing in wisdom and grace. And that was to be under the tutelage of Jesus Christ. And this was followed then by a year at Antioch where Paul had a ministry of teaching. It was while there that Paul and uh, Barnabas both were separated and commissioned by the Holy Spirit to be sent ones, in Paul's case, an apostle. Okay, moving on then. Let's read Galatians 1, verses 3 and 5. Please stop me anywhere uh, you have a, a thought come up. Galatians 1, 3 to 5 says, Grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ, who gave himself for our sins so that he might rescue us from this present evil age, according to the will of God, of our God and Father, to whom be the glory forever. Amen. Greeting the saints. We talked about this Thursday night at our Bible study. Uh, with the words grace and peace, this is not unusual for Paul, right? And we see the same greeting that will appear in, in other of his letters. However, the main sur uh, subject of this Galatian letter, which is primarily the just shall live by faith, well, that adds special significance to, what, uh, to Paul's greeting here. 
Paul is letting the Galatians know that the message he brought was grace and peace. It was this very thing that was being attacked by the Judaizers, right? The truth was that in Christ, the Galatians, along with all believers, had received peace through the grace of God. But the false teachers had come to saddle the Galatians instead with condemnation through the law of Moses. So it is. I mean, as long as law-keeping remained a requirement, then the dominion of sin would remain in force because any deficiency in the keeping of the whole law incurs condemnation. For the keeping of the law to constitute righteousness, which has never happened, by the way, it must be absolute. Otherwise, there's this gap between man's utmost effort, his best effort, and the very minimum requirement of the law. And that gap is equal to sin. And it's sin completely separates anyone from God. In other words, there's no peace with God. Instead of grace and peace, the hidden message of the Judaizers with their legalism was actually law and condemnation. In contrast, Paul lets them know that his message was grace and peace from the Father through the Lord Jesus Christ. Only Christ has fulfilled the requirements of the law through His perfect life. And it was in obedience to the will of the Father that Jesus had surrendered to the severest penalty of the law. He suffered the full extent of the consequences of the sin, their sin and our sin. That is the death penalty. Let's consider these things here. This, this present evil age, that phrase, that refers to the world in which we live, the realm of sin, if you will, the venue of sin. And in it, the law is no salvation. The law is not our salvation. Instead, it's the authority who pursued them, much like a, a sheriff who's coming after a criminal with a bunch of warrants. Um, and he's, he's coming after them to deliver them to the judge and the executioner. But because the Galatians had trusted Christ for, the salva for their salvation, when the law finds them, when that sheriff catches up to them, he finds them dead already. They're already dead. They and we were executed at Calvary in the person of Jesus Christ. And this is true. Why? Because this is what God's Word says. 2 Corinthians 5 verse 14 is just one place where we can read this. Saying, For the love of God controls us, having concluded this, that one died for all, and therefore all died. This is a difficult concept for me. Uh, it's difficult to grasp because the only physical death that occurred at the cross was Jesus, certainly not ours, right? But God is dealing here with a spiritual reality, um, one that's best understood from His perspective. In 2 Corinthians uh, 5.14, Paul's stating a spiritual and a legal fact, one that at this time we can only accept by faith, that when Jesus died for all, then from God's point of view, 
We were with him when he died, and we died. Did I hear a comment? Well, that yes. Deaths, okay. That's very interesting. Carol says that the Hebrew translation makes that word a plural, meaning multiple deaths. Very good. Um, the point here was that the Galatians had been made dead to the law. We are made dead to the law when we believe Christ, in Christ. The death penalty has been paid, so there's nothing more that the law can require of them or us. I mean, we're dead people to the law. So the law's greatest penalty, the greatest penalty, think about it, that the law can uh, put against a person is death. It has been imposed, it has been paid, and it has been satisfied. God didn't do away with the law. He legally dealt with it for our benefit. Any comments? Okay, Galatians chapter 1, verses 6 and 7. Paul speaking, I am amazed that you're so quickly deserting him who called you by the grace of Christ for a different gospel, which is really not another. Only there are some who are disturbing you and want to distort the gospel of Christ. So we see here that Paul is he's dumbfounded uh, that, uh, regarding the Jewish, regarding the Galatian believers here. They've been persuaded to a different message or gospel, other than the true gospel, the one that they had been called to by God, that Paul had preached and that they had earlier accepted. In essence, by following the Judaizers, they are exchanging liberty for the shackles of legalism. That's all that the law brings to the, to the deal here. This message that the Judaizers were giving, it's totally antithetical to the gospel, not just a different approach or view. What the Judaizers offered really couldn't even be called a gospel because the gospel means good news. Make no mistake, the demands of the law are unattainable and they are unrelenting. How could this be good news? In fact, Paul is calling it in, our, in the NASB a, a distortion. Uh, the Greek word is perversion of the gospel. Returning to the law was a return then to the old covenant. Remember I talked about the two covenants. That's trying to get back under that. The same one that Israel uh, had proven they could not keep and whose consequences Christ has specifically delivered them from. You know, even today. Yeah. Yes. Um, so when um, Jim was teaching a couple weeks ago now, and he was relating a story from his youth when he was a young believer saying you just got to keep your nose in the book. Uh -huh. And I think it was because Paul spent so much time going back. He knew the scriptures and then after meeting Christ, he went back to the Old Testament, looked and could see clearly that yes. the breadcrumbs, but it seems like the Judaizers could only were stuck on the law, weren't actually looking to find Christ in it, but looking to to bring people in under that right. bondage instead of seeing all along we had a suffering servant we had a messiah who was going to be both God and man that Paul clearly saw there and that's what's like why are you deserting it so quickly right this is our salvation in Christ right 
This is an excellent point. Paul did not know the words in the scriptures any better after he was converted than before he was converted. He knew the words, okay? This is what she's pointing up. Something happened to open his eyes, okay? I read, a, I read the King James Version cover to cover in one year before I was saved, and I couldn't tell you what it said, and it was a bunch of gibberish to me, okay? And then when I did get saved, it's like I could not be satisfied with enough of it. This is a great point that you're making. So, and that leads to this point. Even today, there's something within human flesh of all humanity. And religion, or better religiosity, appeals to that. Okay? And it seems logical. We were talking about this last week. In our human wisdom, there must be regulations. There must be laws. I need somebody to tell me what to do and to lead me. I, I want to merit favor with God and authenticate my religion. Okay? That's natural. Grace is not natural. All right? Uh, to human nature, which includes our religious f flesh, and we have it too as believers, the gospel of simple faith in the finished work of Jesus Christ is somehow too simplistic to comprehend, or more precisely, too simplistic to accept, because we can comprehend it. Any, any thoughts here? Just this small section, it's so wonderful because you've got him immediately kind of fast forwarding past certain arguments that he's establishing his authority is not rabbinical, it's directly from God. So if you're going to come and basically argue rabbinical tradition, it's like you're, you're in the wrong place. Yes, Paul. And then to follow that up to any arguments that are about like, well, you know, like these are the requirements of the law, she's basically saying that's true, but we're past that. And I think both of those are... Like those are the, the kind of the roadblocks for everyone that they're speaking to. And it's because they have, they have a great understanding of how bad sin is. They have a correct understanding of how bad sin is. Right. They have a correct understanding of how they can't overcome it. But they refuse to move past that because they think it must be found in them. And that's, I think, like understandable. Right. But there's also that humility required. I know, it's like, you can't do this. Yeah, you have a gift that will do it for you, but you need to humble yourself to receive it. That's it. It is that second act, like the impossible circumstance of how do I get myself out of it? Mm -hmm. And being like, no, God will do it. Like, no, I don't think that. And I think that's exactly what I pointed to about grace. Right. That's why with the law, you're going to fail over and over and over again because he wants you to fail, to see it. Kevin. Yeah, I think Lugie is right on. I like the way he said, um, he kind of fast forwards in the arguments. The very first verse, the fact that he says, the father who raised him from the dead. He's given his clue, message, yes. It's a clue that you don't get there by doing these things. You are raised from the dead. That's right, you're dead people. So I think it's very interesting. Yeah. Um, so Jack, yes. when you said uh, grace is not natural, that is supernatural. Exactly. You, uh, so, Luggy, you picked up the attitude of Paul here. He's not Mr. Melktoast anything, okay? He's coming in this with both fists showing, right? He's not going to be, he's not going to stand up for the shenanigans that are going on right now in, Gal in the Galatian, with the Galatian people. 
He's not, he doesn't have time for that. Uh, they're, they're being thrown off track because of it. And it, it would destroy the church for generations to come if this were to take hold. Where was I? Um, okay. Now, <laughs> let's move on uh, to Galatians 1, 8, and 9. And, you know, i just tell you, as I'm, as I'm reading this, Paul is emotionally fired up, okay? And I'm going to give you a rabbit trail warning right here, okay? Where it goes is up to y'all. Uh, but let me just read this, and then we'll begin to talk. Um, Galatians 1, 8, and 9. Uh, but even if we, or an angel from heaven should preach to you a gospel contrary to what we have preached to you. He is to be accursed, as we have said before. So I say again now, if any man is preaching to you a gospel contrary to what you have received, he is to be accursed. Okay, let me just say a couple of things and I'll turn you loose. What's been going on with the Galatian believers, it is so despicable that Paul pronounces a curse, anathema, on the ones responsible, and then he repeats it. It seems that in every age there have been religious charlatans, or in some cases sincere but deceived would-be prophets who would readily bind immature seeking souls with some false religious system. Jim, you had a great question last week. You said, We're, so these guys are not saved. These guys meaning the Judaizers. And we talked about it. I thought we had an excellent discussion. And I think the point was very good at the end that that doesn't matter. That really, that wasn't the matter. But um, Paul here, he has some righteous anger. And he has pronounced curses. Paul has done this before. In Romans 9, he said, uh, would that I be accursed if the Jewish people would have their eyes open. If that's what it took, Paul said that. And in, in the chapter before, he said, there's, therefore, there's therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus, right? Um, so I, looked, I look at who is this curse he's actually talking, he's putting on, and there's three in this, in this verses. We, that includes Paul. An angel from heaven, a spiritual enemy, and any man. He didn't say Judaizers, these Judaizers. He used, this is almost a straw man argument that he's thrown out here. And so I think it's not the who that's so important in the curse, it's the what. Which is why I highlighted a gospel contrary to both times. That seems to be what the, what the curse is really directed at. Now, I don't know if Sue is in here or not. Oh, good. So she's got a daily study she does, and she's in Psalms sometimes. And she called me over one morning. She says, what is with, what's this psalm here? It could have been 58 or 137. You know, what's, what's this? And I said, that's imprecatory. It's imprecatory. It's calling down a curse on somebody, uh, and it's in Scripture. Now, doesn't God, didn't Jesus tell us to pray for our enemies? Who is familiar with imprecation and what imprecatory is about? Because there are several psalms that fall in that. Most of them are written by David. And it can sound very harsh. But it's, what it's revealing is a, it's a, 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 revealing the heart of a man of God who has a deep yearning for justice. 
And it's not his enemies so much as the enemies of God that he pulls this uh, curse against, right? It's, it's like, you know, you said something to a little kid bad about his father. Well, he's going to want to punch you in the nose and, you know, stand up for his father. And it's, 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 it's this deep pulling of, a, of a, someone who's sold out for the Lord to want to defend him and to want righteousness. You know, the curse isn't on the who as much as it is on what. It, you know, it, it, it demonstrates God's abhorrence for evil and your desire to defend that. Any, other, any comments? We are instructed to hate Right, and that's what I think Paul is against here. Are those men saved or lost? I don't know. Can, can Christians act like unbelievers? Uh, don't follow me around for a day. But yes. You know, and it, it's, it just, it's, a, it's a righteous anger. And Paul, is, he's demonstrated that before that he does that. So this is what he's feeling now. Now, with regard to what he does say, it's interesting, I think, that he... he uh, uh, speaks of uh, angels. He, he calls out even angel from heaven as being a possible uh, messenger of a false message. Can we, in our modern day, come up with something that uh, would fall into that category? Like Joseph Smith and the Mormon religion being brought by, was it the name of the angel Moroni? I'm not sure. Uh, you know, with Muhammad and Islam, didn't he have uh, the little genies running around and, and uh, in, involved in that whole uh, writing of the Koran? So the Holy Spirit was aware of that, that probability. I'd say, uh, furthermore, what is interesting in the second curse here is that Paul doesn't overlook the possibility that the Judaizers might tell the Galatians that this message of legalism is exactly what Paul is now preaching. You just haven't heard him yet, right? Because they came in after Paul. But Paul is preempting that by the writing of this verse because he says, if any man is preaching to you a gospel, gospel contrary to what you received in the past tense. And by, by doing that, he's saying that my original message, it isn't going to change. He meant what he said because he was taught by God himself. And so we have, you know, this comes up in churches today, and we're seeing it, the emerging church. And things, uh, institutions that you thought would have been uh, just foundationally sound forever, and yet we have, you know, just um, licentious behavior. We have accepted uh, into the pulpit homosexuals. I mean, it, we have gone, we've gone astray, Okay. And it's just, it's religious tolerance. And, and, and this is what the Judaizers were trying to bring in, religious tolerance. Um, in our culture, in general, tolerance has now been placed on a, a, this pedestal of being the supreme virtue for some reason. But listen, religious tolerance that's on the rise, it's almost always in direct uh, opposition to biblical doctrine. And it, so that biblical, biblical doctrine is now... They you know, say they don't worry about it. It's, it's not as important. When you criticize some of these false religions, uh, you might be viewed as unloving. Um, religious tolerance and biblical doctrine are almost always diametrically opposed. But in Paul's day, such was the case as well. Um, 
he knew that the road to popularity uh, was not going to be in attacking heresies that people readily accepted, like legalism. It's so, I mean, because it appeals to the human nature. Uh, but truth, not popularity, was his objective. And he uh, was committed to the spiritual soundness of the Galatians, and he wasn't really seeking their approval. He's just telling them the truth, which is going to lead them to the next verse. Any comments so far? Lugie. Yeah, I think that like, this, is, this is, again, that continuation of the structure that he's established where he's saying that, and this would be, I think, potentially shocking to his audience that the person who's saying something is is not your authority, right? And I think that's something that we have today as well, depending on like where the source is who's saying something. Well, it's true because this is where I heard it from. And instead, Paul is actually calling them to faith because it is trying, it's trying to address measurability, right? And truth as a source. And he's saying the person who speaks, it doesn't become true because of person who spoke it, but it is, whether or not is it, it is in keeping with scripture, and at that point, it's in, it's, you're, you're having to shift it from, well, you know, Jim said it, and, you know, Jim's older than me, so he's got to know. Right. Like, he's okay. older than everybody. <laughs> I'm going to catch up. I'm going to have no problem. Uh, but instead, to say, like, if it is not in keeping with scripture, then you must throw away whatever is claimed. Right. And, right. and instead of measuring if, well, what does Kevin say? Do I agree with Kevin? It's like, no, no, do I agree with what the Lord has said? And you're measuring not a person's statement, but you're measuring the Lord's faithfulness. You take that statement and you measure it against the Word of God. Everything is measured against the Word of God. Kevin? Yeah, that's why I think he says gospel of Christ. You know, he specifically calls out the gospel of Christ mm-hmm. as the authority. That's right. The authority. Right. And anyone or anything that says something different than that is is to be cursed. That's it. That's it. Lanelle, you have anything? I was just going to say, accountable for what they say. It's so much to be you know, cursed. So we're right. definitely accountable. I can think, you know, in my short lifespan as a Christian, let's say, and all the people that I've listened to and teachings and things, there have been some people that I just... I couldn't believe the wisdom, the godly wisdom that came out of my mouth. And then, you know, a few months later, there's scandal here and scandal there and all that, you know. There was a preacher uh, in one of the Calvary Chapel churches, and he had a big following too, and he said, because people, you know, you get, they want to build you up and build you up, and he said, there's, there's, this is a very dangerous place to be when you're really standing for the Lord and you're getting his word out in truth and you know greater men than I he fall all the time you know so we don't put our trust in men we put our trust in the word of God and see if men can measure up to what his truth is okay Galatians 1.10 Paul speaking for am I now seeking the favor of men or of God or am I striving to please men if I were still trying to please men, I would not be a bondservant of Christ. Paul had choices to make, and we have choices to make too. Would he choose to please men at the risk of offending God? Or to please God at the risk of offending men? And Paul, you know his answer. It is obvious and non-negotiable. One cannot be a servant, a bond slave of Christ if his priority is to please men. Bond slave means a slave by choice. 
think, yes. I think it's interesting that he says three times now that it's specifically Christ too. That's right. The, the very first line he says he's an apostle, not from men or by men, but from Christ. Right. Not specifically, not just God, but from Christ. And then he says the gospel of Christ. You know, if anybody right. has anything, he has the gospel of Christ. And now this time he's saying he's a bondservant of Christ. That's right. Specifically, to clarify very clearly, you know what God says. If you listen to Christ, you know? Yes. In, in chapter 1, he is uh, presenting his credentials. And when we get to chapter 2, he's going to vindicate what he has presented by just what you're talking about. And he's going to get, take us into greater de uh, detail into what his personal revelation was regarding coming from Christ. Um, everything that y'all are saying are great points, and they, and they start to come together uh, uh, into one package as we get further into the book. Um, as, a, as a servant of Christ, Paul was obligated to speak the truth just as God had revealed it to him and to contend for the faith, especially again, this error that the Judaizers are bringing, it's lethal, okay? It's not just a variation uh, or, or something of a minor concern. This is lethal. This is a major Okay, so Paul's going to vig vigorously defend his gospel message and the very source from which he received it, Jesus Christ. That's exactly as you're talking about. Now, uh, we'll go on. Uh, verses 11 through 14, Galatians 1. Paul's beginning now to open up. Okay, because, because the message that Paul is teaching was directly revealed to him by Christ, by Jesus Christ. Let me read this. For I would have you know, brethren, that the gospel which was preached by me is not according to man. For I neither received it from man, nor was I taught it, but I received it through revelation of Jesus Christ. For you have heard of my former manner of uh, life in Judaism, how I used to persecute the church of God beyond measure and tried to destroy it. And I was advancing in Judaism beyond many of my contemporaries among my countrymen, being more extremely zealous for my ancestral traditions. I'm going to put verses 11 and 12 aside for a minute and just focus on 13 and 14. But we'll come back to that. Paul had a past and one that wasn't particularly honorable. But it did provide him with remarkable qualifications to be an authority on the matters that he's now addressing. He'd been a Jewish zealot defending Jewish tradition defending God's law, defending the old covenant. Indeed, in Paul's mind, he was defending God himself against that, those malevolent preachers of Jesus Christ. And wherever he found them, he persecuted them, even to death as in the case of the stoning of Stephen. Acts, the book of Acts uh, implies that Paul was there possibly overseeing that. And consequently, the rabbis of the Pharisees, Paul was a favorite among them. He was outstanding in his age group. He was a young rabbi because of his almost fanatical zeal for the traditions of the fathers, his fathers, meaning the Jewish fathers. You could say that he had an aggressive enthusiasm for the Jewish religion. And as most Orthodox Jews, even today, Paul saw the worship of Jesus Christ as idolatry, as blasphemy. And under Jewish law, those were both capital offenses, a punishable by death. Therefore, he felt obligated to hunt down and rid the world of these blasphemers. 
And it was on one of those hunting excursions when uh, he met the Lord Jesus and his life was changed forever. You can see the fullest story of that in, in chapter 22 of Acts verses 1 through 21. But Paul then Saul at the time, he'd received letters of authorization from the high priest and the elders. He was uh, given permission to arrest the people of the way. That's what they called believers at, at the first. Uh, and he was on his way to Damascus when he was struck down to the ground and saw a bright light. And as we read, he heard the voice saying, Saul, Saul, why do you persecute me? It was the voice of the Lord Jesus Christ. And through that incident, the young rabbi Saul was, on, was converted and he was beginning to be propelled on his way to becoming the, Paul the Apostle. One more set of verses. Uh, Galatians 1 uh, 15 through 19. But when God, who had set me apart, even from my mother's womb, and called me through His grace, was pleased to reveal His Son in me, so that I might preach Him among the Gentiles, I did not immediately consult with flesh and blood, nor did I go up to Jerusalem to those who were apostles before me. But I went away to Arabia, and once more returned to Damascus. Then three years later, I went up to Jerusalem to become acquainted with Cephas, that's Peter, and stayed with him 15 days, but I did not see any other of the apostles except, except James, his brother, the Lord's brother. Okay. The first thing that we see here is that uh, Paul is known by God while yet in his mother's womb, and he's called by grace so that God's son might re be revealed in him. There's a parallel here to one of the prophets uh, anybody recall this as far as being known from the mother's womb? And Jeremiah, Jeremiah 1.5, uh, uh, the Lord says, Before I formed you in the womb, I knew you. And before you were born, I consecrated you. I have appointed you a prophet to the nations. A, a consecrated is set apart and separated from things unclean. And there's a parallel here because he was called from that point and Paul is called from the point of his new birth. Um, but prior to Paul's ability to preach Christ among the Gentile nations, something had to happen. The life of Christ had to be manifest in him. In Paul's case, the messenger and the message are the same. Jesus had to first be seen in Paul's life so that Others might know Christ through Paul's words. Remember, at the first, believers were afraid of Paul because of his reputation. And so the personal revelation from Christ himself, this, had to be the, this was the manner that God chose and took this proud, angry, religious Jew and puts him on his path to become an obedient servant of the Lord Jesus Christ. Now, I'll say this. It seems that from the very first moment on the Damascus Road, when Paul uh, is converted, his relationship to the risen Jesus Christ was intimate. Intimate. You know, we don't see any human intermediaries involved in this. Uh, Paul did not consult with men to learn about Jesus. Rather, he spent time, years in Arabia, learning from Jesus. And this point is very critical. You know, Paul probably wasn't aware of it at the time, but God had planned from before the foundation of the world. 
to use him to give us the major portion of the New Testament text that we're looking at and all the instructions. It's imperative, it was imperative for Paul's learning uh, that it not be corrupted with human bias. And uh, when he wrote New Testament truths, we know that this was not opinion. It was revelation directly. Any comments? I, I think when you, when you look at all of Paul's history, and he comes to know the Lord, but then he doesn't become a Judaizer himself, I think that speaks more to the Lord's faithfulness of specifically being able to communicate to a person and to be able to cut through um, and speak to deception. Because you would think that, like, in a modern context, if you had someone like this, and then they disappear for several years. Yes. And they're like, I'm going to go study. You're like, no, 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 no. They're no. not ready. You don't go away. Who knows what kind of crazy thing you're going to concoct out there. Very but, good. But he doesn't. And that's not, well, because Paul's so amazing. Like, no, he wasn't before. Why is he so amazing now? And it's just, it is, it is the expression of, of what the Holy Spirit promised, made manifest. Yeah, right. It's, a, it's an incredible picture of the Lord actually really sharing and communicating. That's right. And he had to do that with Paul especially. You know, sometimes we get this uh, false uh, view that Paul, he's, con he's struck down the road to Damascus, and then he goes out and he starts writing letters. There are many years in between the one and the other. God has to do a special work in him. There's something about looking into the eyes of a risen Lord Jesus that's going to get you straight, I believe. I, th I think it's interesting that God called him way back before he was born, and Paul still had to go through some things, you know, a preparation right. ahead of time. It reminds me very much of Moses, you know, and how God orchestrates things in the lives of his people that prepare them specifically for the thing that he's going to have them do. Sovereignty. This and is all sovereignty. Some aren't what you would expect, you know, like, like Paul participating in Stephen's stoning. Isn't something you would expect that God would use. Right. Right? But he very much used it, especially in this letter, because it gave him a um, common uh, approach with the Judaizers, you know, and so I find that very interesting that, that you can be called and, and yet still... He was specially, Paul was specially yeah. qualified to be put right where he was. Exactly. I mean, I can't think of a present day example of who that would look like, you know. But it was such a turnaround. When Paul said, I am the chief of sinners, he was in no way being humble, you know, trying to look humble. He was absolutely out front with the truth, and that's what he believed. He never forgot that he was there at Stephen's stoning. He never forgot that. He was forgiven for it, but he never forgot that. And, you know, God's using him. He didn't have to teach him Scripture. He had it, okay? So he took him and opened up Scripture at so many levels, you know. I, I think it would be like the initial response of anyone who heard, like, oh, yeah, Saul's a believer now. It would be the same as if you heard, like, no, Vladimir Putin is a believer. Right, that's, that's an example. That's what I was trying to grab. It's Good. a legitimately Christian nation now. It's like, no, no we ain't. Don't go over there. That's going to explode any second. Right. There's right. something really evil brewing now if you've heard that. Very good. Very One good. One thing that I really Paul. appreciate is, you know, with his mindset, he's, 
he's pretty much like a defense lawyer for God and Jesus, but having that uh, prosecutor background. Mm -hmm. But when it comes down to it, who he's defending, he uses the terms interchangeably, God, Jesus Christ, and his son. So he just wants to always reinforce that, that if you're getting away from trying to teach what they were thinking in the past as God being just God, but also tying in Jesus the whole time. Very good. You know, and in this chapter, as I said, he, Paul comes from a background. He, he was arrogant, okay, before. But he doesn't, you don't just change your personality totally. He's still, he's, he wants to lay out the facts that, that his apostleship is you cannot uh, defeat it. And you can't uh, debate it. And it's not up for debate because of what he's saying. And he can prove it. So this is a good place to stop. Uh, Jim, would you close us, please? Sure. Heavenly Father, we just, again, are uh, humbled and 